On this episode, Hollywood, photography, Vimeo, and the Camino de Santiago. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure podcast, everyone. Um, again, Severia is on the road this week, so she wasn't able to join us. But uh, you know who is joining us? Uh, amazing hiker and super talented photographer, Luke Pearsall. Hey, Luke, thanks for joining us. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Why don't you do uh, a better job of introducing yourself than I could do? Oh, okay. Um, well, my name is Luke Pearsall, and I spent 11 and a half years in Los Angeles uh, working as a commercial photographer and uh, worked in film and television as well. Um, and eventually, like many of us do that work out there, uh, I got a little burnt out and I wanted to spend more of my time concentrating on work uh, primarily relating to outdoor brands and the outdoors and things like that. Um, so eventually I found myself out here in Denver, Colorado, where I have kind of been pursuing primarily those uh things for the past five years or so nice and now were you getting any work to you know through the outdoor community before or or, or did you just sort of decide and like hey maybe i'll make all of it this or, or was it kind of like a you know no i can't stand dealing with the entertainment industry which by the way i would totally understand uh and then and then uh you know you just just said i'm only gonna deal with outdoor brands you know and how do i get into that yeah, um, for me, basically, I always sort of gravitated towards outdoor recreation and things like that, but I never really knew that I could create a life for myself based on my skill set. And you know what? Eventually, I just got to a point where I said, I'm just going to go for it. And at that point that I decided that I really didn't have a ton of contacts in the outdoor industry or anything like that, and I knew that Denver was sort of like a little hub for cool things that were happening in the outdoor industry. Um, and I hadn't actually even been to Denver before I did a job for Range Rover where we drew, th we drove through here, um, you know, just in a 24 hour period. And I was like, Ooh, I could see myself there. Um, and yeah, so cut to two years later, I, uh, I packed up everything in LA and just sort of moved out here on a whim. Nice. Well, Jeff knows a little bit about, you know, the Range Rover, uh, world <laughs> oh yeah land rover yeah yeah um i think jason's alluding to my perhaps questionable decision to purchase a 2003 land rover discovery and uh <laughs> but it's been a lot of fun it's it's it, that's an adventure in itself <laughs> yeah i mean listen great great vehicles uh if they don't give you any problems we'll leave it at that <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty cool. I mean, that's pretty bold too to you know to just pack everything up and and, and head out to Denver. Were, were you able to sort of like I know you started off without the Range Rover job, but were you able to find work relatively quickly, or has has it been a challenge, sort of like you know switching your client base? You know what I what I really found was the first couple of years out here, it was like basically I would have to fly back to L.A. or or New York or go somewhere and do sort of more of the traditional stuff that I've been doing for years and years um, to, you know, to make income, obviously, while I was pursuing other things. But 
I spent some serious time, you know, creating new portfolios and, and just really just shooting for myself, which was really enjoyable. And, um, in that process, you know, some, some of the brands that I work with now, like notice my work and, and things like that. So, you know, it's been a steady increase in the outdoor industry. Although I would say that what I learned the hard way is that the outdoor industry it, for the large, you know, the large part of the majority of the brands, I guess you could say they they don't really spend money the way bigger brands, you know, and traditional brands spend money on advertising and media buys. So it's been interesting navigating the water a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I learned, I learned that one the hard way when, with my mile and a half, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. we talked to a lot of the smaller brands and I mean, their marketing budgets are just so, it's not even that they wouldn't like to, they just don't have the, yeah, they're non-existent. Yeah. They just don't have the marketing budgets to kind of go full scale like a Coca-Cola or Range Rover or, or larger corporations do. Yeah. That's kind of what I experienced. You know, I was, I was like fortunate enough to get some really good jobs with big brands. So you kind of got used to being like, Oh, well, big brands spent, spend money on media and content creation. And then within that, especially the hiking world, you know, the hiking world, most of the brands that we know and love are, are relatively cottage brands. So there's not big budgets for anything there, you know? And, uh, I did, I have learned that over the past five years that like you sort of have to be a little bit more creative with your approach and, and really the money, the commercial money isn't there the way it was uh, in LA for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, um, and then they're the one, the brands that do have the money, like the three to four really big ones, they sort of have their own people, you know, they already have their like little click of, it's very, very hard to break into, you know, at least as long as I've been watching, those people haven't changed, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I, Camp Four, North Face, for example, you know, you know they do amazing work, so you understand why. But I don't think it, not many people are going to be breaking into that, you know. Breaking. No, into there's like you know, if people want to go straight to the top, they go, you know, they just hire Chris Burkhardt or you know, uh, uh, Jimmy Chin, you know, and, and yeah, those guys gobble up ninety percent of the really uh, valuable outdoor industry work. Not that the smaller brands' work isn't valuable, it's just you know, from a make a living standpoint, you know? No, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, I'm looking at your work right now and, and it's fantastic. So I can, I can certainly see why people would hire you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Appreciate yeah, that. no, absolutely. Um, but why don't we kind of get to like, what made you decide to make that change and, and talk a little bit about your, you know, your outdoor experience. I, I know you've done the Camino. Yep. Uh, was that your first hiking experience or had you been hiking and doing outdoor stuff for a lot, a long time before? Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in a family that backpacked like my parents uh, spent their honeymoon in the North Cascades, you know, for on a 10 day backpacking trip. So I was sort of born into a family that enjoyed that type of activity. Um, and, you know, when you're growing up, you don't really do tons of it as a kid. You know, I had a handful of experiences, maybe a, a dozen, you know, growing up uh, when we really had great times outdoors in a bunch of different places. But I really fell in love with traveling to like the national parks when I was a kid because my parents, that was like one of their, one of the family activities that we all enjoyed doing and, and we pursued it every summer um, because I was fortunate to, enough to have teacher, uh, teacher parents, you know, parent teachers. So we had our summers off as a family together and would kind of explore, um, you know, and then I took a year off when I was living in LA and actually moved to South America and I worked as a guide down there. 
Um, and I've led like adventure tours across the continent. So that like, that's what really gave me, that was like 2005. And that like really gave me the taste of like, Ooh, I like this life. You know, I like this living out of a backpack and seeing cool things, uh, kind of, kind of lifestyle. Wow. That's super cool. Where, where in South America, Patagonia or? Well, I led tours that would start in Ecuador and they'd go through, um, you know, Peru, Bolivia and Chile and in Chile. So we'd go north to south, and they were eight weeks long. And then I'd pick up a new group and go from Chile back up to uh, Quito, Ecuador. Wow! <laughs> so, so it was. I mean, it was pretty. It was an amazing thing to do. I was like 25 years old at the time, so or 26 years old. So it was. It was just like an incredible experience and very challenging. And you know, I hiked the Inca Trail. I don't even know how many times, but I was like, ooh, this is just so fun. Uh, but then you put it, you know, you kind of do your adventure, you get back. I was like, wow, if I'm a guide forever, I'm never going to be able to afford to live in L.A. again. You know, I think I was getting paid like $37 a day. <laughs> like legitimately $37 a day. Yeah, it's it's not it's not cheap living here. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, ultimately I came back and I was I was working on the television show Entourage at the time. Um and, you know, I worked a few more years there, like really, you know, did some movies and things like that. And then I just like, I really, it, it really, the entertainment industry kind of fell into my lap. I never really sought it out. So I don't know that I had the same, oh, uh, you know, the same passion that, you know, people that went to film school or, or things like that had for it. I went to photo school, so I wanted to pursue photography and, you know, slowly transitioned into that kind of realm. Um, and then, you know, just... I wanted to find a way to, to combine all the worlds together, and it sort of has happened. <laughs> Where did you go to photo school? The Rochester Institute of Technology. Oh, cool. Nice. Cold. <laughs> yeah, cold. Lots of snow, but, uh, you know, got me prepared for these Rocky Mountain winters. Nice. And, and were you the set photographer on, on Entourage? Was that your job, or were you doing other no, stuff? No, I actually worked in production, so I did all my uh, Director's Guild days as a PA on Entourage and Lost. Oh, wow. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Those are my first two gigs in show business. So I was, I was pretty lucky. Uh, season one of Lost when they won the Emmy Award and then moving, you know, to L.A. after that um, and getting, you know, Entourage was pretty much a blessing to be on. Hit shows right away. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, well, why don't we. So that was your start. Now, what led to the to doing the Camino? What what? possess what made you want to do that you know i think i think like a lot of other like parts of my life and this my story were that i just worked was working really hard and getting really burnt out in la and i you know i knew about long distance hiking i'd been basically obsessed with it when i was a kid but i never thought it was obtainable i never thought i would be able to do it because it always seemed like something you had to have a lot of extra money and a lot of extra time and I didn't really have either of those, you know, but where there's a will, there's a way. Right. And I kind of thought to myself, well, maybe I can't do the Appalachian trail or the Pacific crest trail, but I met, might be able to squeeze out like a month in a summer sometime, you know, and I saved, saved some money, had some like very generous friends, um, help me along the way. And, before I knew it, I decided, you know, three months ahead of time, I was like in Spain, ready to go, you know, taking a bus to France to start the Camino. And it was kind of unbelievable experience. 
you know, from there on out. Cool. Well, I think you're the first person we've had on our show that's that, that's done the Camino or at least is talking about the Camino that I recall. You want to just kind of describe it to everyone because it's a little bit different from the usual hike or outdoor experience. Yeah. You know, so the, the Camino de Santiago is a 800-kilometer or like 500-mile um, route from uh, France all the way across northern Spain to a town called Santiago. And traditionally um, – it was a pilgrimage route um, for Christians. And it was kind of a, a route that was uh, given to like so, a sinner or like someone that needed to work something out. And they would travel this route and they travel all the way to the sea, even past Santiago, they pick up a scallop shell to prove that they had like basically done their time and they'd like walk it back even to where they came from. Um, and that's why the symbol of the pilgrim, which is what they call all the hikers on the Camino, is the scallop shell. And everyone that's hiking the Camino has a scallop shell in their backpack. Oh. Um, yeah. So, that, I mean, historically, there's a vast, rich history to it. But, you know, the, the difference between a wilderness hike like, you know, all of your listeners and many of us all know and the Camino is that the Camino goes from like town to town. So you don't even stay in tents. You stay in albergues, which are, you know, just small hostels, essentially, um, that are set up, you know, have been set up for hundreds and hundreds of years for the pilgrims to travel the, the way of St. James. So do they serve dehydrated food anyway, just because, the, you know, you need <laughs> to suffer? No, I'll tell you what, like, the, the way I always kind of describe it is the Camino is a cultural, you know, a cultural experience. And you know, the PCT or Appalachian Trail or their, their wilderness experiences, you know, and the cultural experience is amazing. You can't go into it thinking you're going to be in a tent and you're going to eat dehydrated food. You're eating like, like beautiful cured meats and cheeses and stopping midday for a beer or cafe con leche. And like, you know, there's, it's way more casual and like extremely enjoyable, I have to say. So you actually put on weight when you hike that? Uh, you know, I, I was talking to our mutual friend, Jeff Garmeyer, uh, today, and I showed him a picture from when I finished. And he was like, man, you look like you're in good shape. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, because I was definitely like indulging in Spain, like on a heavy level. <laughs> yeah, I guess just still, you're still burning those calories, you know, if you're carrying yeah, a pack. You're still, and... Yeah, you're walking 500 miles, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think that uh, that's a common way of traveling by foot in in many places in Europe. So I know there's a lot of different uh, paths or routes or trails in yep. uh, countries all over there where you go village to village or you go hut to hut and you sleep in a bed and you have a hot meal. And uh, that doesn't sound too bad. I mean, actually, the older that I get, the more appealing that sounds. <laughs> Well, I have to tell you that it is like there was age groups that were, were so vast there. I think, you know, maybe the youngest, well, there were some kids being pushed in strollers even, but, you know, there was young people like 18 years old and there was people that were like in their 70s that were hiking it. It's not super strenuous. It's just very long. And I would recommend everybody at some point in their life if you think you missed your window on through hiking you can do the camino you know and it's affordable and 
it's just you meet the most warm and wonderful people from all over the world. It is an incredible experience, really. Nice. And just, you know, out of curiosity, are, I mean, was there any religious thing? Was did you are you religious? Did you, is it, was that a reason you wanted to do it or was it more just for the experience? I think what I was trying to do was I wanted to create a photo uh, photo project for myself or just a project for myself that had a little bit more meaning than everything that I was working on in L.A. And uh, it was the first time in a long time that I just set aside time to just go and shoot whatever I felt like shooting and create or capture whatever I felt like creating. And, and that was the real purpose for me. But oddly enough, along the way, you start to feel intensely spiritual. And I'm not saying that even like on a Christian perspective or, or any other, like you just feel very connected to this experience because you're around so many people that are so open and dealing with so many different things. Like a lot of people are coping with like severe loss in their life. And, um, you know, just, just major, major life issues. And they all come to kind of walk this way and heal. And so it's, it's intensely spiritual in that way because you see people heal over the course of these 500 miles in, in a way that you can't really explain. So, and, and, since then, you've done the uh, the Colorado Trail, right? Yeah, I was basically, I mean, I did the Colorado Trail in 2020 um, as sort of a consolation to the Pacific Crest Trail. I had, you know, saved up the money, made the plan to do the Pacific Crest Trail. And when the pandemic, you know, came down full bore, I was literally uh, about to get on a flight to fly to Southern California and start in a couple of days. Um, and then again, you know, Jeff Garmeyer, he had published an article about him not attempting a PCT through hike, which sort of created this, because he's so well respected in the long distance hiking community, it started this landslide of people making what ultimately was the right decision to stay home, uh, a reality for so many of us. But, um, you know, that dream was sort of taken away from me and as a consolation, Last summer, when it sort of felt like I was just sitting at home doing nothing uh, because I can't work. I mean, I didn't have a pandemic proof job, really. You know, I was trying to find work, but really I had planned to not be working. Um, you know, so it was time to once again sort of create a project for myself, you know, and, and build a new portfolio and, and do the just make a job for myself. And that's what the Colorado Trail became. Um, and it was great. I mean, it was, it was a local hike for me. It's, it's literally miles away from my front door is the start of the hike. So I felt comfortable and safe kind of with, with that decision and the length of time I would be out there. Nice. Did you go before or after, uh, Jeff's, Jeff's trip on the Colorado trail? I went before him. So along the way I was actually, I was actually trying to like take notes for him. I'd send little videos and be like, Hey, this is mile marker. 463 southbound like there's a bunch of blow down here um you know don't go through here at night oh cool <laughs> yeah and then obviously you were the well no one else is gonna know this but but you were there with him at the finish line which must have been pretty neat and pretty nice yeah that story is like kind of unique because jeff and i met um kind of online on instagram during the the you know the highest moment of 
COVID lockdown, I saw Jeff Garmeyer had liked a post of mine or something like that. And we started talking, we became pretty good friends online. He was there being very supportive of me when I was dying on the Colorado trail, you know, on a daily basis. Um, and when he said he was going to attempt the FKT, he was like, Hey, I'd love if you could be there at the end. And I had just finished and, uh, I live in Denver, so it was really easy to be there. And that's when our, uh, our bromance began that day, you know, <laughs> over a couple of jackasses. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that that that's something people will learn about later. <laughs> uh, yeah, a little teaser. I mean, yeah, it's an incredible story because, you know, I didn't know him, but I I knew, you know, we had a friendship online, and I felt a little weird about being there when he was finishing this momentous thing, and really, he finished the hike, and he was so exhausted, and, and just totally beat up and you know him and i sat there till the sun went down just cracking jokes and talking about you know fantasy football drafts not about the like you know the incredible thing he just achieved one cool thing about about jeff uh, he is one of the it's funny because he's so amazing like you look at the stuff that he does and it's like so mind-blowing you think that you know, some people like with that kind of those kinds of achievements would be like conceited or, or be whatever. But he is like the most down to earth, just like nice person, you know, and friendly, outgoing. Like he'll talk to anyone. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's, he's such a great guy. It's so cool. You know, I mean, that's just par for the course for him. Just meeting someone online and then just befriending them. I think that's just in his nature, you know. Yeah. And, you know, he's a pretty like he's a pretty him and I have similar um like social anxieties, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't speak for him, but I'm pretty sure that's yeah. That's he, true. you know, he does. He, he's it's talked about that. That's that's been talked about. And... Yeah. So like, we really got along because we're like the you know antisocial social club together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, we can like not talk to anybody and just talk to each other. Yeah. And uh, you know that snowballed into us doing this weekly Instagram live called Tuesdays at Two. Um, which a lot of people actually ended up viewing, like thousands of people every week started tuning into this uh, weekly live, which really was just a FaceTime phone call. We decided to broadcast to the hiking or to the community, to the world. You know, I, I haven't in. heard of this. This is what is this Tuesdays at two? Tuesdays at two was just me and Jeff. Um, we'd go at two o'clock mountain standard time which nobody's online at you know we would make a, like basically a phone call with each other and not talk about like very little hiking talk but only people in the hiking community would log in and we do silly things like um you know uh scavenger hunts in people's houses like the first person i could find a quarter a toothbrush and a you know, a, uh, you know, bobby pin in their house, we'd send a prize to, <laughs> you know, and it had some sponsorships and all sorts of stuff like ended up happening there. And then, but, you know, Jeff being the super hiker, he is had to go train for some things. And then we kind of lost some steam there and, and called it quits. But every once in a while, if you're paying attention, we, uh, we get weird together on there. <laughs> well, and, and speaking it's tr- of, it's truly weird. Yeah. And speaking of truly weird and fantasy football drafts, there, there's, there, there may be a little collaboration happening with Luke, myself, and Legend uh, in this fall. <laughs> That's right. That, so, w- that would be really interesting 
to see how it pans out for sure. Yes, we're conspiring because we think no one will listen to it to uh, create a, a, a podcast, you know, hosted by hikers talking about football, <laughs> NFL football. And because we know so many <laughs> yeah. of you, our listeners love NFL football. <laughs> we, we, I, you know, I think it's unique because hikers are always want to talk about hiking, which is great. I mean, that's, that's wonderful. I love it as well. But, you know, man, there's other interests in the world too. You know, it's okay to be well-rounded. No, absolutely. And it's funny. It literally just kind of came from like, uh, I was with flag with Jeff and Flagstaff, like, like a month and a half ago. And we were, we spent like, like half the time talking about football and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, we should just like record this. You know what I mean? Like, cause it's just so weird Two hiking nerds talking about more about football than actually talking about hiking, you know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Anytime on, on Tuesdays at two, someone would be like, so what's your base weight? Like we both kind of be like, uh, I don't know, something I don't, like pretty light. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> you know, like, like I get that. I get that people like want to know that particularly from him yeah. because he's logged over like 30. I mean, at this point it's probably 35,000 miles. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. But you know, it, it's not really, you can go listen to other things, other places and learn those things. He's, he's just a champion because of what's inside him, you know, not yeah. what he carries on his back or, or, or what, you know, gear he has. No, absolutely. But. No, no. He's, he's, he's a pretty amazing fellow, no doubt. And in, in many ways. <laughs> yes. I mean, so, you know, I am, I am like this guy who's got, you know, I would say a couple, couples to several thousand miles under my feet. And, and he's this guy who's just like sitting on the Mount Rushmore of hiking. So it kind of works. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how, I don't know. I sometimes wonder, like, I mean, are, are those people though, the ones that, that like, that are sort of his peers at that top echelon, are they fun? Because Jeff is really fun. I'm not saying they're bad people or they're not whatever, but some of them seem kind of intense. I don't know. You know, maybe some of them have goofy, fun personalities, but not all of them project that, at least not in their, in their public images, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, I always joke with Jeff, too, that I think that sometimes he plays the character of legend. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, and, and he does. It's a, it's yeah. a character. Sure. Um, the first time we... Well, my first like time that I learned about him, I was listening to a podcast that he was on, and I was like, "Wow, this guy's like a, a, a cocky, you know, a cocky." Uh, can I curse on this? I don't know. But, um, I'll probably sure. bleep it out, but yeah, or maybe yeah, no, I won't. I don't he's know. just no, no, yeah. no. I, I was just like, this guy's a <laughs> cocky a hole, you know. Yeah. But it, he was playing the character, like absolutely playing the character, and that the. the the legend that everyone, you know, sees on the YouTube videos and things like that. But he is one of the most kind and genuine and like wonderfully caring humans that I've ever met and deserves every accolade and probably even more than people even know. Yeah, you know? no, absolutely. Um, he was our second guest on this podcast, actually. So if you go back, oh, right now, listeners haven't listened to it and go back to listen to episode two. You can, you can hear episode us. Chat with too. Legend. Yeah. yeah. Definitely um, be a lot more interesting than me, I swear. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No. Well, weirder maybe. You're not. I mean, that's hard to out weird legend. I'll say that. But yeah, uh, you know, that's why we get along. Like he yeah. can go off the rails, and then I'll just reel him back in. Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys done any hiking or, or backpacking trips together yet? Uh, we did uh, rim to rim for his birthday on the Grand Canyon. Oh, nice, uh, nice. Was that th this year? 
we yeah, that was oh, this yeah. October, like yeah. shortly after his FKT. Um, you know, he, Jeff and I became like best buddies real quick. Yeah. Uh, we would spend hours a day talking on the phone. <laughs> I, I don't, I've never talked or wanted to talk to anyone on the phone like that in my entire life. And in fact, I like hate being on the phone, but for some reason, the antisocial social club kicked in and we just became buddies. And he was like, Hey, I'm turning 30. Do you want to come down to the grand Canyon? I was like, well, that sounds about as safe an activity as we could do together. So yeah, you were there when he, when he sent me the postcard then. I got my only postcard I've gotten in like 20 years from from Legend that he uh, from the post office down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. <laughs> yeah, the, the, there's a funny story to that. Um, he he like waited for like probably an hour down there writing postcards. I got one from him too. <laughs> thank uh, thank you for coming to his birthday. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I was like, I definitely need to get ahead of this kid. I got to start walking. Oh yeah, know, absolutely. I'm, I'm a, well, I'm I think a big I did, boy. I did Bright Angel like a day before. I think part of that too, it was a joke because I, I kept forgetting whether or not he'd done it. So I think I asked him. He started getting annoyed that I had probably asked him like five or six times at whether or not he'd done, you know, the rim to rim to rim. So so I think he, you know, just to, to just to show his anger towards me, you know, he sent me this postcard saying, "Now I've done it." So now I, now I can't, you know. Now I ask him just to annoy him, but he knows that because he knows I, I know he did it. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, he did it with a chocolate cake on his back too. <laughs> of course he so, did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his parents who came along on the trip as well brought him a big, dense chocolate cake, and he was like, "Oh, this carried down." <laughs> and so he carried this chocolate cake all the way down and up to the camp spot, you know, and carried it all out the next day. Nice. <laughs> did you guys? Yeah. Where, oh, did you camp? So you camped on the North Rim, and then and then, um, or did you start on the North? Yeah, rim? We, we started on the South Rim, yeah. and and really we didn't go rim to rim. We went like rim to like three quarters of the way up to this beautiful plateau camp area, and then went back down and up the next day. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it is. It was really great. Nice. Um, have you done any other like super cool backpacking trips or any other like longer trails in your time? Um, the, I mean, I've done, you know, like I said, like nothing, nothing too long, long, like the longest have only been like these two 500 mile trails, but, uh, that's pretty long. I think yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's, that that's pretty long. That counts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to put that in perspective when like a person who's hiked a single like AT or PCT was like, Oh yeah, well it's like half, you know, less than half of what I did in a summer. It's like, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. You know, t- time is a relative thing at this moment, but, uh, no, I've done, I've done plenty of like backpacking trips that are wonderful though. You know, like I said, like even like the Inca trail is only, you know, it's marginal in length, but like incredible in stature, you know, um, and all different parts of like superior hiking trail, parts of the AT, you know, parts of the CDT. Mm-hmm. I've been on all the trails. I've, I've backpacked on all the trails, but is, uh, you know, I, I don't know of the superior trail. Is that around Lake superior? Or is that, yeah, that's a national hiking trail up there. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. A lot of people don't really know it, but it's it's pretty beautiful, but very buggy. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> um, yeah. How long is that one? Like, and how long how long did you do on it? Ooh, I only did like like a short section of it, but 
it's it's pretty it's fairly substantial like with over 100 miles for sure oh wow cool um yeah i mean listen there's the whole world is obsessed with long trails when and i think jeff would attest to this too when there's just like innumerable amount of opportunity in these in these shorter like 100 to 300 or 400 mile trails i like that you call those shorter (laughs) (laughs) and even shorter than that too i mean you know like there's most people i would say are never gonna do a trail as long as the colorado trail okay right yeah Uh, you know and 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 yet there's they can still have an, an amazing experience out on a trail for five nights or you know two weeks or whatever it happens to be absolutely i think that that's that's kind of what you know jeff advocates for he's like not he understands that not everyone can do these you know six month five month four month trails you know that they're but they're, they might be able to get a couple weeks off so why not do like i'm gonna do at the end of the summer and do the tahoe rim trail which is 170 miles i can find two weeks i can't find two months but i can find two weeks to hike 170 miles yeah right that's that's at a pretty good pace <laughs> yeah for two I mean, weeks i mean you're doing what 20 20 plus mile days you know yeah i mean it's 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 doable i mean it would have been a lot more doable at the end of the colorado trail yeah you know, after a winter of snacking kicks in here yeah but, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah that's absolutely. why that's why i gotta get back out there so so now I guess I have to ask this question now that you're doing you know do the Tahoe Rim and you just did the Colorado Trail, yeah, uh, Rockies or the Sierra. Ooh, uh, you know, I have to say like I have a special place in my heart for the Rocky Mountains, but I honestly think the Sierras are like so beautiful, you know, and I'm really looking forward to being being all up in there for for a couple weeks. Um, wrong the wrong wrong the answer was both. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, I mean both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Both. well, I mean it, does, it no, doesn't yeah, have to be true. an either no, or. I mean they're both pretty amazing. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. I just find that the, the sort of like you know the competition between the two to be kind of funny. You know. Yeah, uh, I think they're very different. Yeah, I think they're very different. Like the terrain is different. The the uh, I mean from like a photographic standpoint, like the aesthetic is very different. There's more yeah. water features in the Sierra which I really enjoy, you know, the, the Rocky mountains are very like, I don't know. They feel very dry and, and tall and, you know, like the average elevation on the Colorado trail is 10,300 feet. So like you are always gasping for air. I, I think it's tough in the world to beat the Sierra. Honestly. I mean, you have like, you know, Dolomites, you know, a few other places, but, but it's really hard. I mean, just because it seems to that, that sort of magic, level where the vegetation stops and the granite starts you know it just yep. you know you look at a lot of the rockies and, and they're they're beautiful but they're very vegetated you know what i mean you yep. don't necessarily get like those those crazy huge granite walls you know when you get no. good light that just sort of capture that light um, i think you're 100 percent correct in that uh description of it you know i mean you know i'm gonna throw out the cliche john muir quote you know call it the the range of light you know there's a reason why yeah the, you know those got the name and it, and, it, and it's it's something pretty magical about the sierra but you know again the rocky rockies are no slouch they're they're, they're quite beautiful as well um, no and they're just they're just big and intimidating and there's a lot of weather and yeah uh and they're very hard to actually photograph if you're not yeah. 
at the exact right time of day. Like there, cause it's the sky is very blue all the time and the mountains are very, for the most part, very Brown. Yeah. You know, yeah. and sometimes greenish. So there's a lot of contrast up there and it's actually very challenging to, to make a, an interesting photograph of a relatively like monochromatic scene. No, absolutely. I, I was just thinking like in my head and maybe it's just because I'm California native Californian. I haven't seen nearly as many like jaw dropping photos of the Rockies as I have of, of the Sierra. You know what I mean? And, and, mm -hmm. and um, Outside of maybe like the glacier area, the gla glacier, the, the, you know, the sort of Canadian Rockies and glacier, you know, starting in like Glacier National Park in Montana, kind of up that, that right. stretch. Tetons. Yeah. And the Tetons, you know, God, Tetons are kind of like, man, I, that's like, I've been there twice and I have like 10, 10 of my favorite photos I've ever taken from there, I, you know, spanning like four days of actual shooting there. I mean, it's pretty, pretty amazing I mean, how good that is, you know. The Grand Tetons, you can, it has a lot of curve appeal. Yeah, I mean you're you're getting good photos from outside the park. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, the best views. I mean, I, I I did do one backpacking and I ran into a wall of snow, so I wasn't really to get able to get high up. Although Jeff and I and, and a couple of our friends are doing the Crest Trail in September, um, but but uh, it seems like one of those places where all of the best views are from you know down by the visitor center. <laughs> you know what I mean? Down down on the floor, looking at it from. Uh, or you on know. the highway, really. You know, like yeah, a pull off the highway. <laughs> or taking off from the airport, you know. I mean, that's, uh, you know, <laughs> that's a pretty spectacular uh, landing strip and takeoff point, you know. You got that view It's the, the only time. national park with a airport in it, right? Yeah, I, I might be, yeah. That, yeah. that is, yeah. Well, just having flown in and out of the Bozeman airport to, 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 be, to hang out with uh, Legend and Maggie this weekend, it, um, that's a pretty nice, that's the nicest, like small airport I've ever been in. I have to say, I don't know if you've been there, but it's, uh, it's pretty, I haven't. it's pretty fan, kind of fancy in that cabiny kind of way. I don't know, maybe kitschy, but you know, a lot of the smaller ones are just kind of like, you know, what built in the sixties or seventies and kind of utilitarian right. and look kind of like, you know, I don't know, just, just kind of drab, you know, it, it was, it's pretty nice. <laughs> nice. View yeah. That's the, kind of the way I felt about like Anchorage. Yeah. Like flying in there. Oh, Fairbanks. Nice. So yeah, I've been to Fairbanks, but I haven't been to uh, haven't been here uh, to uh, Anchorage. <laughs> um, yeah, Alaska is like a whole other deal. Yeah, no, it is. It's pretty, pretty, pretty awesome up there. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, I would imagine that compared to a lot of the other people that you have on your podcast, that I don't have as many miles, even if my experience backpacking is is comparable in locations that I've been to around the world. You'd be, you'd be surprised. Actually, we probably have people that have less than 100 backpacking miles. We get a lot of cyclists and a lot of, we get okay. like, you know, van life people. We have a pretty, it's a pretty eclectic mix. You know, we try to keep it, keep it as broad as possible. So you, I promise you, you have more miles than a lot of the people we've had on the show. <laughs> Just definitely uh, not as many as a few also. But then again, that's Jeff and I. You have more miles or as many miles probably are in the same neighborhood as Jeff and I. If you've done two 500 miles, that's longer than anything either of us have done. So, yeah. you know. Um, we hike a lot. We've done a lot, a lot of trips, but, but, you know, the, you know, not, not so much the longer ones, you know, like yeah. right, we haven't, well, maybe get you out there for the Tahoe rim trail. Yeah. In July. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, what's funny. I did a trip, um, in Tahoe for the 4th of July, a few years ago, we, we hiked, we did like a three day trip and finished up on Mount Talac, uh, on the 4th and watched the fireworks over the lake. You know, there's like four or five nice. different shows, you know, around the lake from up on top mm -hmm. of the mountain, you know, they're like, 50 60 other people up there it's kind of a thing it was kind of neat sure. but I, I was really impressed with how not just that but how pretty the 
the wilderness. Um, I was on the southern part of the lake. We did went over Phipps Pass um, and then another pass. I forget. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But it was really, I think Lake Elizabeth was something, I think a high pass, which I'm pretty sure you'll go through. But it was really beautiful. I was I was quite impressed. I, I don't know why, but I maybe, you know, always thought that the Southern Sierra were maybe a little bit more grand and a little bit more, you know, than the, than the Northern part. But, but man, it was really gorgeous. I think you're going to have a great time. Yeah. It was really I'm, pretty. I'm looking forward to it. And, and realistically, you know, I don't know that I'll ever have six months in my life to go att- attempt a redo of the Pacific Crest Trail, but you know, I'm really going to enjoy, yeah. you know, these, these mid rangers. That, that sounds like a common conclusion for people to be having, uh, right at this moment. <laughs> right, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 You yeah. know, uh, I think Jason, Jason's kind of teasing me a little bit because, um, I had this sort of dream of hiking the Pacific Crest Trail in 2022. And, uh, I don't, you know, I've, I've always kind of dreamed of hiking through hiking the PCT. Sure. And I had this sort of epiphany when Jason and I were on the side of Mount Rainier last month. And I'm like, I don't know that I really want to spend five months away from my family and my dogs and, you know, like unplugged from everything. I don't, you know, it, it was kind of stressing me out a little bit. And so I thought, there's lots of things that I want to do that don't take me away for five months. Exactly. And that can still give me a very rich experience. I can still have amazing stories to tell and, and uh, you know, amazing memories to make. And I can do that with, um, you know, I can do some of those with my wife. I can do them with my friends like Jason and, and others. And why not do that? You know? And so I, uh, I kind of decided I'm, I'm not, at least for now, I don't have plans to do the PCT. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it, or if I do, I might maybe I'll do sections of it or something like that. I don't know. It's uh, yeah. and I'm not um, teasing. For the record, I'm not teasing you at all on that. I was 100 <laughs> percent with you on that dream and was like, <laughs> I mean, for me, it was it was somewhat more of an economic reality. I'm like, well, how do I pay my mortgage for 10 years? Right. You know, it's like that's a big part of it. Yeah, I mean, right. I'm doing okay, but I truthfully haven't been earning the way I earned in the previous few years yeah. and. This city just gets more and more expensive. L.A., I know why you left. It just gets more and more expensive to live here. And I'm like, also, I need a, like, I need a career for another 10, 15 years. It's like if I bail for like, you know, six months, is, are, are they going to still call me? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was just like all right. those yeah. realities. I'm like, oh, wow, this is, this is kind of stressful to think about. You know, and it's like you really – I really wanted to do that with you, Jeff. So, so trust me, no teasing at all. It was like – I mean, I was kind of coming to that conclusion in my head. I was actually it was almost a little relieved when you said it because it was like, I, I really don't know if I can do this as much as I want to, you know, and I'm, I'm yeah. certainly bummed we can't do it, but I do think it's it's kind of the right decision, you know. And, and there's so many other things that yeah. great things that, uh, you know, we will do. So yeah. I'm not bothered by it at all. And, no, um, no, it's, you know. Um, and yeah. I'm a little young, younger than Jeff. So maybe we were kind of, it was going to work out great because we're 10 years apart and I was going to be 50 and he was going to be 60. So now it's just going to be, I'm going to be 60 and he's going to be 70. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I mean, that's the new plan. That's the new, that's, that's what's happening. Oh, now. that's the new plan. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just so you know, I mean, let me so, know. So, yeah. so keep those knees in shape, Jeff. You got it. You got it. Oh, another. I got to tell you, that's the same relationship I have with Jeff. I'm like 10 years older than him. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's like, but I wish it was reversed, so maybe it would even out a little bit better. Yeah, no. Hey, <laughs> hey, I, I'm tw- I'm ten years older than you, then, so I'm twenty years older than right. him. And we did a hike on Friday, 
And I, I'm like, yeah, we can do something kind of hard, but not too steep. And he just took me and and the re- and Maggie and a few others like up this like I had to be 30 plus percent for like half a mile. I mean, it was straight up. Yeah. You know? and, and luckily, I think my Rainier training paid off a little bit, and I was able to not die, you know, and and almost hang on to them. But I was, oh my god, I was dying. I'm like, oh, you're crazy. You know, of I course, mean, Jeff's just sitting there chatting like it's nothing, you know. <laughs> I had to tell him when once we had gone to the bottom of Grand Canyon, we we're going up the other side on day one. Uh, he was like, I was like, hey, dude, you gotta. I was like, you gotta go. Yeah. I just needed. I just need to suck this up and deal with this on my own. Get away from me. You know, basically, like, yeah. I, I don't need you. I don't need you sitting here looking like you don't even break a sweat. Yeah. Well, well, I'm gonna lose my lunch. Yeah. 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 It was, it was kind of funny, like, because it was right before our Rainier trip when I did Bright Angel, like, two weeks before, and I just kind of wanted to test my fitness level. So, like, I, my whole thought was I wanted to go from the bottom. I did Bright Angel. I wanted to go from the bottom to the three mile. Uh, there's like a cabin there, like a rest cabin on the trail. Mm-hmm. Did you guys come up or go down Bright Angel? Um, I don't, I, I don't think we did. We did Kanab. the North. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, that's the main one that most people do, you know? Yeah. And there's water on it and there's like these rest cabins. So I wanted wow. to just make it up to the three mile to go cabin, you know? And yeah. I did, but then it was funny and, and I just didn't even realize how gassed I was until I sat down. And how dehydrated I was, you know, you're like, oh, oh no, my gosh. Oh, man, you know, I, I, I can't even imagine trying to, ch- you know, chase legend up that. Uh. <laughs> well, yeah. So that as this story like continues, the next day we're huffing back up to the end. We're about, I don't know, maybe two miles from the top. I'm dying. The sun's beating on me. I'm looking at my watch. My heart beats like 160 beats per minute trying Ooh. to get up, you know, yeah. and he checked his heartbeat heart rate and it was like 60. Or 62. No. <laughs> like, legitimately, it was, like, that low. Yeah. I was like, so I'm going to have a heart attack, and you're, like, going to fall asleep. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I said was... to him, I said, yeah. could you do this 2,000 feet of gain and two miles in the next 20 minutes? And he goes, yeah, probably. <sighs> yeah. It took me, like, two hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was funny. Like, my pace up to the three mile was so fast, and then it went, it got really slow. You know, I was also very ahead of schedule, you know, like I had a time that I wanted to do it in and I was about an hour ahead of schedule when I hit the the three mile camp. And then, it, but I also kind of realized I was too tired to make it up. You know, I, it, my, my goal was eight hours and I was like, if I'd have been able to keep up that pace, I'd have been able to do it in under seven. And long story short, I finished in, in seven hours and 59 minutes. <laughs> I was so tired and so exhausted on that last stretch. Yeah. And my heart rate was was spiking to like up to 170. Not yeah. the whole time, but when you know, you'd hit those little steep parts, yeah. you know, and I'd have to stop and sit and stop. I took probably like not long, but I took a whole bunch of little breaks and stuff on the way too. So he's a freak of nature, man. I mean, I mean he yeah. also trains like crazy. I mean, we did that hike and then he went and ran again after we did that hike. And the rest of us were all exhausted. So, you know, he's definitely, uh, you know, a pretty, a pretty amazing, you know, athlete. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You did. I mean, you famously did the John Muir trail, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. But in 24 days. So, <laughs> so right. I, well, yeah. I remember watching the film being like, oh, that is a. Yeah. I, I beat, I beat Jason. I you beat I, me. I did the JMT in 22 days. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I do remember <laughs> watching your film being like, wow, that is a leisurely pace. Knowing knowing that you yeah. were filming, right? Yeah, like, filming, and then the snow. Honestly, was was filming the combination of filming and being in the snow. 
made it made it definitely of like course a, a, of course a very hard a very like no one was break no one got the fkt that year you know oh like, no you know what i mean i mean that was that the, was a really high snow year, year wasn't it yeah we had it was a like a 200 percent snow year right and, and it was it was um yeah it was it was hard <laughs> yeah i i remember i i mean i really enjoyed it this is before i knew that you knew jeff or yeah. whatever i really Thanks, enjoyed man. the film thank you yeah yeah and it was it was um the pack weight too i mean you know i mean i was yeah I was I lose it when I watch that. I'm yeah. like they had a like. Didn't you have a slider with you guys? We did, we did. We had a slider. Oh. My pack and I had a big ass tripod. I had a Manfrotto. It was oh carbon, but it was carbon ten from ten years ago, so it was still pretty yeah. heavy. You know, like a big video, reasonably wow. big uh, carbon fiber video tripod, and we had you know uh, you know gear has gotten better and lighter now. Obviously, you know. I so. think about that all the time. Yeah. All the stuff I did before, like. You know, when I shot the uh, the little mini series for Range Rover, we didn't even have drones then. Now, like kids can throw a drone out of oh, their yeah. pocket and get like an amazing aerial shot, and you're just like, oh, well, my stuff now looks like garbage compared to what you get. You kids can do with like your iPhone and a drone. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's amazing, kind of coming up. And again, as someone like you who's been in it, kind of roughly around the same amount of time as I have. It's amazing to see how how good it is now versus it was then. How much lighter, how much smaller, and oh my gosh! You know, it's it's. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I'm gonna be an old man and say the kids these days just don't know how good they they've got it. You know. I mean, it's <laughs> it's a great time to be a young creator because everything's yeah. affordable and yeah. really amazing quality. Not, and not only that, like now you have places to see it. You know, I am like, oh, I did go to film school when it was film school. You know, and there was right. no video, none yeah. of this digital stuff, and. You know, the truth is, even as early as 2000, you know, there wasn't a YouTube, there wasn't a Vimeo, there nope. wasn't an Instagram, there wasn't a Facebook. And it's like, you know, say you made a feature film, you didn't get into a festival, you, you know, one of the two or three big festivals, you know, one of five people didn't see your movie, your movie wasn't getting distributed, and nobody saw it, and, you know, and basically nobody saw it unless you created your own thing. And you yeah, know, that was expensive and hard. So now it's kind of great. I mean, you can create stuff and people can see it. I mean, that's, you know, that that hasn't been around. I mean, I don't know if people... You know, it's funny. We, we just did another podcast and, and we kind of talked about the ills and the bad part of social media. I mean, the good part of social media is, yeah, you can get your message and out there. People can see it. You know what I mean? And, and sure. Know, so there is a positive thing to that, a positive side to it. Obviously, there's a positive side to it. We all like to harp on the negative side, but that's kind of a neat thing that's happened, you know, and changed. <laughs> you know how I, you know how you just said there wasn't a Vimeo? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Funny story there. There definitely wasn't a Vimeo because one of my buddies created it in college. Oh wow, really? Well, yeah. For, like it was someone in the program created. He, Jacob Ludwig. He created Vimeo. Wow. Uh, with, with yeah. Do you still? Yeah. I hope you still have his number. And you're like, hey man, I want to make know, this movie. Can I? You know. Yeah, you know, I don't, but I know he became kind of like a tech investor, and then he got bought out by I think it was Yahoo, and then you know, eventually got fired by Yahoo, but yeah, he created it because he was a dual major. He was a, uh, I think it was computer science and film. Hmm. And he just basically wanted a place to host like his high resolution, high quality videos. I don't think it was Yahoo. Cause, cause to full disclosure, Yahoo has been one of my biggest clients for the last, <laughs> the last 10, 11, 12 years. And I'm pretty sure they don't own Vimeo, you know? At one, oh God, who was it? Yeah. Maybe it's AOL or something. At yeah, the I think I think someone someone did buy them. I know you're you're 100 right on that. I just don't think it was Yahoo, um, you know. And if they did, and I don't know that, that's kind of hilarious. As again, they they probably accounted for half my income over the last decade. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, 
Yeah, I, God, I could almost we could, we could swear Wiki- it was Yahoo. Hey, audience, Wikipedia of Vimeo to find out who bought it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the technology I, is there. IAC. Wikipedia says IAC Ooh. bought Vimeo. Wow. I don't even know who that is. Uh, which is a... Uh, IAC was established in 1986 as Silver King Broadcasting Company. Wow. As part of a plan to increase viewership of the Home Shopping Network. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. So Home Shopping. Okay. Very, very <laughs> I mean, cool. Very interesting. Yeah. I, I, again, yeah, I was sure, I mean, I'm pretty sure it wasn't Yahoo, but I, I, that wasn't the answer I thought. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I went to school with Jacob uh, when he was making it. So like, there was like, a little connection to that. Super cool. It's great. Yeah. It's a great platform. I, I like it. You know, and, and underused. You know, he was yeah. like the original vlogger. He actually would do like daily vlogs back in the day when no one was doing it. He like <laughs> vlogged his relationship with his girlfriend on the on the platform, and it became very, <laughs> very uh, public. Let's wow. say, which is why he, I think, ultimately ended up being released <laughs> from his duties. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness i don't know there's a story in there i don't know maybe maybe, maybe for a different podcast <laughs> yeah. yeah he would he would have to be the one on that one no he's a good dude he was yeah. you know creative dude and really did something quite amazing yeah. doesn't hike though let's nerd out for just a, a minute you know here on the photography stuff um you know this is the part my co-hosts always love when I talk about lenses with people. Um, yeah, I like photography stuff. I know, That's I cool. Know, I know. <laughs> what, are you, what are you shooting with uh, these days, Luke? You know, I have in the past, uh, like I would say five years, I've, I've gotten rid of all the stuff that was sort of, I think, limiting my creativity and really pared it down. I'm shooting on just a Sony... Uh, a7R3 right now, mm-hmm. and I only carry two lenses in my kit, really, like for everyday use, uh, which is like the 24 to 728 and the 70 to 200. Oh, that's funny. And, and yeah. for the majority of everything I do, it is 100% what I need, really. That's great. I have that. I have, in fact, we just shot in it with it this weekend. That, that, that 24 to 728 G Master has been my go to for, for years. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny too. And that, that, that's, I don't have one. It's kind of funny. It's like the one hole. I'm a little bit worse than you. I like, I like I lenses and tend to bring too many, but, um, it is kind of the hole in my, in my lens thing that 70 to 200, I have, you know, I have a 200 to 600 and just numerous things between, you know, between 16 and, and seven and 85, but nothing really in that, in that range. But, but no, that's cool. Pairing it down. Like, on our Rainier thing, I sort of did that, and I'm kind of going to start forcing myself to do it more. I'm like, all right, I can only bring one lens, and it'd right. be nice if it was light, right? So I got the the Tamron uh, 17 to 28, and I, just, I had the A7R4, so I literally that was all I brought, you know. And I'm like, yeah, got, you know, I I think it kind of was what I needed, right? I, the, you know, for that experience. But but uh, yeah, that's that's kind of cool that you've done that. I mean, I, I see some people starting to do that too. You know. It just, it made, it made like, I was traveling so much for work and, you know, photo equipment's super heavy yeah and also very expensive. And every country I went to or, every, you know, I was putting all of that, you know, weight on my back and all of that, you know, expensive equipment through a lot. So I, you know, I made the conscious decision to like, kind of just be like, all right, let's, let's see, do we really need this? Like, did we go on this whole trip and use this? If you only used it once and you only used it because you brought it, 
you probably don't need it. And like in an ideal world, of course you'd want to bring prime lenses and, and yeah. you know, faster lenses and things like that. But realistically, that's, that's not always what you need, at least for me. Yeah. Mostly when mm-hmm. I, if I'm backpacking, I, I would just bring the 24 to 70 and then yeah. I, I have the baddest 18 wide and that's just such a nice lens. It's like hard for me to not bring it, you know, cause it's just sure, such a, yeah. it, for me, it's always, it was sort of my favorite for a long time, just the way it looked and, and everything like that, you know, but, but yeah, no, I mean, mostly, mostly, you know, you know, and then like when you start talking about like the 200 to 600, I mean, it's just such a massive chunk of like metal and glass. I mean, I think it weighs like five or six pounds or something yeah. like that. It's just not a practical thing to bring on, on and, most trips, you know, you know, going full circle with the whole thing, bringing back to like, hiking and stuff like that anytime someone really asks they say i'm gonna go do the pacific crest trail i really want a good camera what camera should i buy and carry with me say i mean my answer is always the same and for 99.9 percent of people that are actually gonna create content out there for themselves for memories just upgrade to the best iphone yeah that's we just said the same thing in the last hour our last podcast we recorded as well yeah it's a common thing and it's it's super true honestly it really is i mean unless you're you know like like you you you've you know fashion yourself an artiste such as myself you know and you are actually going to print stuff big and hang it on sure. a wall you know certainly for instagram and most things you know it, it's it's a pretty great option yeah i mean the application of most photography our, our film is viewed on a computer screen right yeah or the phone right. even right it's like yeah so, taking a picture for a phone on a phone makes makes a lot of sense makes you know? a lot of sense sometimes 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 it almost seems better you know in terms of like i shot this in the application or with the piece of equipment that it's being viewed on therefore like what you have created will be identical to what other people will see on a similar device I th- I right, think- it's perfectly suited for that. I, I, I think the other thing about that is that um, it's there's so little, comp- you know, setup time. You know, it's not like yeah. you have to drop your pack, get the tripod out, you know, attach yep. the lens, get it all set up. You're like, pull it out of your pocket, click, and it's done. So you can capture things much more spontaneously, and so there's a value to that. I think also, yeah, uh, for and- sure. And I was talking, I think Legend even mentioned this over this weekend, weekend we, we were talking to you about you a bit, that he, he said that you and I in common, like, like I, I brought my camera and I brought it on all our hikes and I didn't take a single picture with my good camera this Same. weekend. I'm like, if I'm not, and because again, a lot of times, like if you see one of my pictures, that's as many as like, you know, sometimes 12, even more exposures to get one image. You know what I mean? And so, yep. and I have the A7R4, which is even more of a memory pig than your A7R3. You know, so it's yeah. like, it's like, it's, it starts adding up, believe it or not. I mean, you're like, oh, they're just pictures. It's like when they're 130 megabytes, you know, that takes up quite a bit of drive space really quick, you know? And so again, if I'm not going to, and I know if I'm not going to spend the time in Lightroom, you know, tweaking it and, and, you know, every once in a while I'll do snapshots, but more often than not, the phone is for me is good enough for a snapshot. You know what I mean? Yep. And honestly, like on that note, I, I, I shoot almost the majority of things now, even, pro- even professionally and commercially on an A7 III. Because oh, nice. for that exact reason, it's it's enough. Yeah, it's enough. A seven three is enough. And if you're if you're pounding out images all day, it's not going to take up as much. Like twenty four point some odd megapixels is fine. I mean, it was fine for Samsung for Bridgestone tires. It was fine for you know all these uh, you know hospitals I've worked for. It's fine. 
No, yeah. absolutely. Now, do you do? Yeah. Are, have you been able to, or do you? I mean, obviously, when you work at it as a day job, are you able to get out and do like you know passion projects and whatnot as a photographer, or do you find yourself mostly doing it, you know, for work these days? I I hate to admit this because like people always say, well, like oh, you're you're going on a hike. Why don't you bring your camera? I'm like, oh, because like do you want to take your work with you like all the time when you're, when you're not working, like maybe you just want to go on a hike, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe that the camera in my pocket is the cell phone camera. No, I get it. And it's kind of funny. And I think that's why I've resisted pushing, you know, trying to make photography like an income stream. You know what I mean? I think it's a combination of earning a living, doing something creative already. So it's not like I'm an accountant and this is like my dream thing. You know, yeah. it's like the longer I keep it as just a passion and a thing I love and a thing that I enjoy, you know, it's that's what it is. And I can do, do you know, shoot if I want and not shoot if I want. And, you know, and, and it's yeah. like something that I look forward to doing. So that's that's been kind of nice that I've, I've had that luxury, you know, but I totally get it. 100 percent get it, you know. Um, yeah, I mean it's a it's definitely a challenging industry in the in the it's changing now. Like the world is changing and guys like me, I don't even know if you know guys like me will have a place in this modern sort of world of content creation because everything is is very much uh sh the streaming culture, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. no one's looking for the big the big guys to shoot stuff anymore. They're like, "Hey, we for the cost of you, we get uh you know, influencer. 10 of these other guys. Yeah. An influencer. Yeah. You're super talented. Bucks. You're super talented though. And there's something to be said for that next level of sort of craft and, and, you know, aesthetic and all of that. So, so knock on wood, I don't think that's going to happen tomorrow, Luke. <laughs> no, no, I hope not. Uh, but you know, like the thing is that most, once people spend the money on like legitimate, like talent to, sh to shoot their content, they sort of realize, Oh, there is a bit of a difference. Yeah. You know. Oh, and there's not a bit, dude. You know what I mean? I mean, let's be honest. It's, it's you know, you know, and even the better influencers are using better cameras, right? Not, you know, and, yeah. and, and putting time and effort and, you know, money into getting those shots. It's not, you know, not just selfies and not just some of them. Maybe it is. I don't know. But, but, you know, you know, you look at, if you look at the behind the scenes, some of the, sometimes the influencers on the post are like, oh yeah, you're using a, you know, a seven R three or a seven three and a big lens and you have someone shooting it for you. So they're essentially doing a scaled down version of what you do for a corporation too. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. Well, look, dude, it's, it's been great to talk to you. Uh, thanks for being on Where Where can people find your work? There's a couple places people can find my work right now. Um, one is a new Instagram account. It's at Luke P studio. That is a lot easier for people to find than my previous account, which is at Luke Pearsall Photo. They're just different uh, sort of vibes. One is more of my commercial work. One's a little bit more personal. But either one of those I'm on too often, um, <laughs> and those are both Instagram accounts. So if anyone wants to reach out, I answer literally every question or DM that anyone has ever sent me. And considering one has 114,000 people on it, uh, it's a substantial amount of time, but I do it eventually. I'll get to you. <laughs> Reach out, say hi. Awesome. And Hey, maybe, maybe this fall, check out, you know, our podcast, which we still haven't even come up with a name yet, but you know, it, the working titles, hikers talking about football, which is not a very inspired title, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in, in some weird way, it's perfect. It is. It needs to exist yeah. because it shouldn't exist. <laughs> exactly and then the next thing we'll see is the uh the, the sister podcast 
footballers talking about hiking. Now yeah. Hey, yeah. Now that I can make happen. I know some football players. You know. That's good. <laughs> we'll, have, we'll we'll have to get a couple on the show if we can. Um, yeah. Well, hey, thanks again, Luke. It's been great talking to you, and good luck on the Tahoe Rim Trail, and enjoy the rest of your summer. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it was great talking to you, and uh, hopefully we'll see you on the trail sometime. Yeah. Awesome. It's great. Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. On Instagram at almostthere underscore AP or the Almost There Adventure Podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women. That's Adventure US Women. Jeff at The SoCal Hiker or me at The Muir Project. Our title track Almost There is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more information about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. We'll be back in a couple weeks. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.